Jesus was typically teaching, feeding the soul. He was typically proclaiming the good news. And he was helping and healing. Keep those in mind because he's going to bring up this subject of shepherding. Because all of us, the scripture says, are like sheep. We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord is a good shepherd, okay? And so uh, keep those thoughts in mind. But as I say, if his characteristic activities were verse 35, his characteristic attitude is one of compassion. I am so grateful that he is the compassionate one. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, The Compassionate One. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Jesus has power over death, over incurable disease, over blindness, and over deafness. And each one of those, and I won't go back except to say, each one of those is a fruitage of sin, ultimately. This world is messed up because we have rebelled against God. And the gospel, the good news of Christ, is that he can heal your blinded eyes. He can heal your stuffed up ears, so to speak. And uh, yes, he does it physically, but he opens our eyes to the reality of life and our ears to really hear his word. And it's at that point, that's where we'll, I just want to pick it up, and I know we look briefly at this verse, but verse 33, uh, when this deaf and dumb man was healed, the multitudes, verse 33, marveled, saying, nothing like this was ever seen in Israel. Let me just add. What we've just seen in chapter 9, nothing like this was ever seen in Portland or New York or Paris or Nice or London or you name it. Nothing like this was ever seen in the world. When God became man, he was completely unique. And what he did and what he does today, what he's doing today, they marveled and well they might. But look at verse 35 or 34, excuse me. The Pharisees were saying, he casts out demons by the rulers of the demons. The the juxtaposition of people saying, wow, look at this. And then the religious leaders saying, "Ah, he does it by Satan. He does it by the ruler of the demons, you know. Well, Matthew takes this opportunity to give a summary statement. And again, verse 35, Jesus was going about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. If verse 35 is a description of Jesus' typical activities, and it is, teaching, proclaiming the good news, and healing. And we get our word, it's, the word it says there is therapao. We get our word therapy. You want real therapy in any realm, you come to Jesus Christ. But he taught, he proclaimed, and he helped. That's basically the Holy Spirit's general statement of what Jesus was doing. And we saw a bunch of illustrations of it. Well, if that's the case in verse 35, verse 36 and through 38 is his characteristic attitude. Seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them. 
because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, what I want to do is just, I said last time we we got there, but we didn't take a look at it. I really want to take a look at these three and a little bit four verses uh, because there's so much here for us. Jesus was typically teaching, feeding the soul, okay? He was typically proclaiming the good news, and he was helping and healing. Keep those in mind because he's going to bring up this subject of shepherding, and I'm going to go back to the Old Testament even and let us listen to a chapter about shepherds because all of us, the Scripture says, are like sheep. We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord is a good shepherd, okay? And so uh, keep those thoughts in mind. But as I say, if his characteristic activities were verse 35, his characteristic attitude is one of compassion. I am so grateful that he is the compassionate one. And we, I just got that far last time, and I mentioned this term is only used 14 times in the New Testament. And 11 of them, 11 of the 14, are specifically describing Jesus, like here. He felt compassion. Uh, He told a parable about a man who felt compassion and forgave debt. And it was clear from the parable that the picture, the story he told, was a picture of him. So that's 12 of the 14. The 13th one is the Good Samaritan, the guy that, unlike the religionists of the day, didn't just look the other way, but actually stepped in and helped at sacrifice to himself. The Good Samaritan, we got a hospital named after the Good Samaritan. Uh, Maybe didn't, you know, we might be oblivious even, but it came right out of Luke 10. And the Samaritan had compassion. And the Samaritan is, of course, a picture of who? Jesus. Jesus, who had compassion on us. And finally, the only other use of this word is in Luke 15, when the prodigal son went off and lived his life in debauchery. And we're told that his father had compassion and welcomed him back when he finally turned and repented. And uh, I got to say, I think, you know, 14 of 14, it's all about him, the compassionate one. He is the compassionate one. Now notice what it says. He felt compassion. Why? Because, verse 36 They were like sheep without a shepherd. The Bible does not refer to us, and I've said it before, uh, what's your favorite football team? Your favorite baseball team? Basketball team? The Bears, the Bulls, the Giants, the Lions, the Tigers. Anybody ever named a team the sheep? (laughs) It's just not... Let's go out there, ba ba ba. It doesn't work. And we're called sheep regularly in the scripture because God knows how 
vulnerable we are. We're not going out there going to make it happen. Oh, we think we are. But ultimately, the message of the scripture is to bring you to the point, me and you both, where we lose our cockiness and our self-independence and we cast ourselves on him. Because the worst thing for a sheep is to be without a shepherd. Um, sheep are helpless. They're dumb. And I mean dumb. I don't mean hard of hearing, you know, and unable to talk. I'm talking about just foolish, uh, vulnerable. And sheep without shepherds, notice our text, verse 36, will quickly become distressed and downcast. Distressed, weary, we might say harassed, troubled, hassled in the deepest sense. You know, you, maybe you're walking in here today or maybe you saw someone, you talked to somebody, how you doing? <sighs> I'm just hassled. And you can't even put your finger on what it is. Maybe it's because you're overloaded at work or maybe because you've got pressure in your marriage or maybe it's you name it. But we are that way. And Jesus saw these sheep distressed and downcast, literally thrown down. And uh, I quoted earlier, and I'll quote it again, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That's from the perhaps the most famous prophecy in the Scripture, Isaiah 53, verse 6. But the Lord, all of us are like sheep, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now, in Israel's case, Jesus was going all through his people, you know, his, his land, Israel. And he was feeling compassion because Israel was sheep without shepherds. Now, Israel's situation... God had raised up prophets who were to be shepherds. But they were doing a crummy job of shepherding. And if you have an Old Testament, you can turn to the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34. And if not, you can listen because... Uh, and I would encourage you, by the way, to jot it down. It's a great chapter on uh, shepherding. And uh, pastors today are called to shepherd. In fact, uh, the term shepherd is used 18 times in the New Testament. And one time out of those 18, it's translated pastor. Every other time, it's translated shepherd. And I say that because there's only one time in the whole Bible that you find the word pastor. Pastors are shepherds. They're to be shepherds. And there's good shepherds and there's bad shepherds. Shepherds are to feed the flock. They're to watch over the flock. They're to guide the flock. And in the Old Testament, the prophets were called to be shepherds. And listen, just listen to these words because uh, in Israel's situation, not only were they not feeding and guiding and shepherding, but they were fleecing the flock, feeding themselves, making money. And you can't miss, if you're alert at all, to the condition today in the church. And I say the church at large, 
uh, oh, for shepherds who would really open God's word and feed the flock and watch over them and protect them and warn them and be good under shepherds of the good shepherd. Well, listen to this. Listen to his indictment, you might say. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Ezekiel was a true prophet. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against, this is the word of the Lord, against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who've been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you haven't strengthened. The diseased, You've not healed. The broken, you've not bound up. The scattered, you've not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you've dominated them. And they were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. And my flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth. And there was no one to search or seek for them. You weren't feeding them. You weren't seeking them out. Now, they lived in a culture where they knew all about shepherding and what a shepherd had to do to take care of his sheep. And God used that analogy constantly. And God says, let me tell you, woe to you shepherds. And he's talking to those whom he's appointed as representatives over his people, representatives of God to speak the word of God. They weren't doing it. And Hence, the flock was scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface. Therefore, you shepherds, verse 7, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely my flock has become a prey. My flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock. But rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed the flock. Therefore, now listen to this, verse 9. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and shall demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore. He's going to deal with them. And those who stand in pulpits today, those who proclaim themselves religious leaders, and far from feeding people God's word, just feed off people and get rich oftentimes, that sort of thing. Uh, he says, I'm, I'm going to remove them, but that's not all he says. But I shall deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. This is in Ezekiel. And he says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I skipped over to verse 20, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and with shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns until you've scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will deliver my flock, and they will no longer be a prey, and I will judge between one sheep and another. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant, David. Now, when he wrote this, David was long since off the scene. It's a clear messianic prophecy. 
I'm going to raise up the son of David and he will feed them and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Wow. What an indictment and what a promise in both cases. Now, Today, I must stop and just apply it a bit. Many of God's people, I'm speaking of Christians now, are sheep without shepherds. Oh, every Christian, don't get me wrong, can go right to the good shepherd, the Lord himself. But sadly, many are in congregations where the shepherds aren't feeding the flock. If you're in a church where the Bible isn't really taught, where Christ isn't honored, get out. Uh, Find a, a real shepherd. And uh, I'll tell you, it's sad because many Christians are weak, sickly, vulnerable, wandering here or there, confused. Maybe you. Uh, one reason I'm motivated to teach downtown here is that the whole city, everyone needs, if you know Jesus Christ, you need to feed on his word. And we need to get into the green pastures. Now, Jesus is so concerned about this, he says, I he says he felt compassion. I'll get back to our text. I've got to find it here, Matthew 9. And notice then what he does, because he changes uh, the metaphor. Almost as soon as he develops this, he says, he felt compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And because of that, they're distressed and downcast. Maybe, let me just stop there. Maybe you know Christ you would say, if I'm going to heaven, it's because of Jesus Christ. But you're finding yourself distressed and hassled and downcast. Are you feeding on God's word? Feed yourself. Get into God's word. Listen to him daily. Hear his voice. But then Jesus said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I said this is his characteristic attitude. It's compassion, and he's looking for two things that he really underlines. First of all, shepherds who will feed. Then he changes the analogy from sheep to what? The next verse. Harvest is plentiful. There's the fields. In John 4, Jesus said, look at the fields. They're white unto harvest. I think he said that in July or August in our calendar. You know? He said, look. And that was it when he was talking to that woman from Samaria, remember? And he pointed her to himself. He said, hey, I'll give you water you can drink and we'll get thirsty again. And, she, and then he engaged her about himself and talked to her about salvation. And she put her faith in the Lord. And she went out and told the whole town, remember? And the whole town started coming. And pretty soon, a whole village in Samaria and they said, now we hear and believe, not because of what she said, but because of what you said. The fields are white unto harvest, okay? And Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Um, if you really want to serve the Lord today, there's plenty of work. <laughs> there really is. The harvest is plentiful, uh, but the workers are few. Uh, today, there's opportunity everywhere to represent Jesus Christ. And, uh, and yet the workers are few. 
I say resolve to be a Christian who follows your Lord in serving and giving yourself. Uh, When you look around the world, it's very true. Whether you look at Africa or Asia or America, there's plenty of harvest. Uh, But the workers are few. And when I say it that way, I'd have to say it is a privilege for us as a ministry to be involved not only here in Portland where there are a lot of workers per capita, so to speak, but to be involved in Africa and Asia. We're getting reports in. I don't know if that... I haven't even actually read this latest uh, update, but I'm going to... And when I, Dave was saying it's, it's out there, I said, i got to read that. Because I've been reading the emails, and I'll tell you, it's exciting to hear. Uh, our director was traveling through Asia and opening up new countries in Asia. And now, then he went back to Africa, on, kind of around the world almost, and came to... And uh, I was just asked this morning about Cameroon. And it's exciting to be part of the Romans Project and see what God is doing. But I just say to you, the workers are few. And uh, then notice what Jesus said. Therefore, verse 38, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Notice he doesn't say in this context, go. He, what does he say? Pray, pray. Therefore, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Therefore, pray for the Lord to raise up workers. One of the best things you and I can do is to pray for the things that are on Jesus' heart. I exhort you today to pray for shepherds who will feed God's people. Pray for pastors to really... Say what God says to open up God's word rather than say what people want to hear or what the culture says is acceptable. Not to say what God says to feed the flock, green pastures, and pray for workers. And he uses the analogy, I think, and that's why I read Ezekiel 34. One of the reasons is the feeding and then the searching. Sheep wander off and they need to be found. My sheep are scattered and they need to be found and brought back. And he said, What did he do? Well, he was constantly teaching and proclaiming the gospel, Uh, discipleship and evangelism. You'll never really separate those two. God's purpose today in 2016 isn't different than his purpose when Jesus spoke these words. Teach God's word and proclaim God's word. One has the emphasis of feeding those who know him, And that's why we love to gather and feed on God's word. And the other has the emphasis of going out and proclaiming. And the workers are few. Don't just launch. Make sure God is sending you. Ask the Lord to send workers. And I always tell people, before you just like go overseas to be a missionary, start being a missionary here right now. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Compassionate One, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Abide in the Word only remains on the air through the generous contributions of listeners like you. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us on a regular basis to help us meet our daily expenses. To make a contribution, just go online to abideintheword.us or mail us at Abide in the Word, P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Christ went to the cross not for his sin, but for my sin and your sin. And he reconciled me to God. He's committed to us, not merely Paul or the other apostles, but all of us. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. And then he spells it out, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He's committed to us that word of reconciliation. Therefore, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him. An ambassador speaks with the authority of the one who sent him, and that's the way we are to speak. Uh, we represent him. You say, well, what do we say? You and I are called to know Christ, and we're sent to make him known. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 